Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode of For Real is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering reading recommendations personalized to your reading life. Want great new nonfiction books to read but are overwhelmed by the publishing buzz? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading likes and your dislikes and what you're looking for. Then sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so you can treat your shelf and support an indie bookstore. TBR is also available as a gift. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Ukra, and fellow rioter Alice Burton. We're recording this week's episode on Saturday, August 15th. Hello, Alice. How are you today? I've got coffee, and so <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm good. It is earlier than we normally record, but we both are caffeinated, so we are we are ready to go. Relatively ready, I would say. No, I uh, yes. we were originally going to be recording what I would say is like almost criminally early. Just although I'm sure some <laughs> listeners, okay, it was eight thirty in the morning, and I know some people are like, "Excuse me, that is not early," but it's Saturday, number one. And uh, number two, I just, it's, you know, it's a lot of, uh, I was about to say it's a lot of chatting, although I find that fun. So it's not like it's a burden. Uh, Anyway, the point being, if we say anything that doesn't quite make sense, I've given that excuse before. I'm going to use it again. (laughs) It's still pretty early in the day. That's true. That's true. So you have been road tripping and you listen to some audiobooks. Yes. We got through one. Nice. But it was nonfiction, so I wanted to talk about it. Yeah, uh, I went on a road trip, which is the first one I've been on uh, in many a month. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was great. And we got the Megan Mullally, Nick Offerman book, The Greatest Love Story Ever Told, an Oral History. <laughs> which I 100% recommend on audio, because when they say an oral yeah. history, it's legit them, like, chatting back and forth. So it feels like kind of just like a podcast like they're just like talking to each other and like interjecting and like she makes a lot of jokes and like based off just like stuff he says off the cuff so you don't feel like they were writing it down Mm -hmm. and i think she says at the beginning like we basically like talked into like a recorder to to make this book in the first place oh that's funny it's really cute and they just have a lot like you know they're so into each other that it's weird and um <laughs> and then when we got back from the trip, my fiance and I we watched all of the Ron Tammy episodes from oh, Parks God, and Rec. I love those. Yeah. They're I recommend watching them like one after three, I think. <laughs> oh, so good. They are so good. So I too have been listening to a bunch of things, not nonfiction so much in my book choices, but we mentioned several podcasts ago, I think, that Michelle Obama would be launching a podcast on Spotify. Uh, and I have listened to uh, two of the three episodes that have come out so far, and they are 
so great, and I highly recommend it. The first one she did was um, she did like a conversation with Barack Obama, her husband, uh, former President Barack Obama, and it was just my heart so much, like having people in power who care about other people and want the best and consider like sacrifice and obligation as part of that is just so great. And then her second one, she talked with one of her friends, Michelle Norris, who's a journalist and um it was just really fascinating kind of them talking about the whole first season is kind of about community and relationships and our relationships uh, with other people in different ways and ourselves. And it's just, it's so good. So if you need like a, I'll remember when things, the people in charge were good. So great. <laughs> I loved it. I really enjoy your fangirling of the Obama administration. I know. <laughs> I know. I know that they were flawed and I know that they were not perfect, but like in comparison, like how can ugh. I mean, yeah. Yeah. No one's perfect, but boy, so much better. Well, I was going to say in comparison, many many people. But I yeah, I think there's like a, a definitely a marked difference. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. Also save the USPS. Okay. So, I want to if I may Talk about our first sponsor real Please quick. Do. I'm actually really excited. So especially so listeners of the podcast, you, the listener, you probably like books. That's my assumption. And Editorial Arts Academy for freelance book editing. Uh, well, it's like, okay, so this is called Editorial Arts Academy. They offer a course called Freelance Book Editing 101. So if you are kind of like, I am interested in freelance book editing. I want like either a side hustle or trying to make that like a full-time thing, but I don't know where to start. I feel you. Um, So what they have is it's basically a course that shows you how to do this. So it's online. It's self-paced. They tell you things like what the seven editorial roles are, which is like book coach, beta reader, manuscript evaluator, and like others. You can take an assessment quiz to figure out like which one would fit you best. They have four modules with 15 videos. You can just like sit down, watch those, learn, which that's like my favorite thing. And then they talk about like the differences between each role, how content edit differs from like a language edit, how to set up your freelance business, how much you can expect to earn, like all of this, like all the questions you would have about this, they have it. It's super cool. So again, that is Editorial Arts Academy. Uh, The course is Freelance Book Editing 101 and Super cool. Book Riot listeners get 20% off this class. That is 20. So go to editorialartsacademy.com slash bookriot for more information and to get your discount. So again, that is editorialartsacademy.com slash bookriot. Excellent. That sounds super cool. I know. All right. This week, we're going to skip nonfiction in the news just because and we're going to jump straight into new books because uh, that's what we're going to do. So this is books that are recently out, coming out soon, that we are excited to share with you. And Alice, you are first. Okay, so I am super psyched to talk about this book. It is Wandering in Strange Lands, A Daughter of the Great Migration Reclaims Her Roots by Morgan Jerkins. Morgan Jerkins had written previously like a memoir, and this is I, w- I was about to say very different. It's still okay. So it's like part memoir, part family history, and then kind of like sociology, ethnography focused. It's like it feels very nonfiction information based while still having like a personal touch. So essentially, she focuses on when it says a daughter of the Great Migration. So she realized that she did not know about her. Well, when it's okay. 
Let me just like break down the title. A daughter of the Great Migration reclaims her roots. So she was like, okay, I want to find out about where I came from. And in doing so, she goes from Georgia, she goes to South Carolina, Louisiana, Oklahoma, California. Like she like travels to all those places. She interviews people. I've said before in just like talking about this book at random that it reminds me uh the work that Zora Neale Hurston was doing. Do you know like how she was like also doing some like sociology Mm -hmm. work along with writing amazing fiction (laughs) because she was awesome so it's sort of like that where she's like talking to people and then discovering the history of the area and also like just looking at what happened with the great migration and her argument is that she's like yeah it provided black people with like new economic opportunities but it also disconnected them from, like, their Mm. roots and their sense of identity. So in, like, going back, she is trying to figure out how this huge group of people, right, like, I think they have, like, six million Black Americans specifically in the Great Migration, how they became disconnected from their roots in this thing, in this, like, quest for, you know, not being mired in this systemic, like, poverty. And I was going to say systemic racism, but obviously, like, that's still going on. But, you know, just trying to break free of it as they can. So she interviews a bunch of people. There's photos. She transcribed, like, hundreds of pages to try to figure out her family's oral history, which she goes back 300 years. She talks to – she, like, finds out about the Gullah Geechee people in South Carolina. She talks about the Creole culture in Louisiana. She goes to California and – It's extremely expansive and also really interesting. If you love facts, which I assume (laughs) if you are listening to this, then you do to some degree. It's awesome for that. And especially if you're like, I want to know more about the history of America. I want to know about the Great Migration. I want to know what happened and where, where things are kind of now. Then I can't recommend this book enough. So again, that is Wandering in Strange Lands, A Daughter of the Great Migration Reclaims Her Roots by Morgan Jerkins. Excellent. I'm so glad you talked about that one. I feel like we've been sort of had this one on our radar all year because I think originally it was supposed to come out in the spring and then COVID happened and they postponed it. And so we've both had it kind of on our list because it looks fascinating. Um, Morgan Jerkins is so good. So excellent. And she's such a nerd on Twitter. You should follow her. I just love it so much. (laughs) Yeah, excellent. Yeah. All right. But my first pick this week is another one that I think has been uh, highly anticipated for a lot of the year and really is landing at a perfect time. And that is Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents by Isabel Wilkerson, uh, which came out in early August from Random House. And so this is a book that examines the unspoken caste system that has shaped the United States and how it still affects the way that we exist today and the hierarchy that is grown up between humans in our country. So um, the book explores like the rules and hierarchy within the caste system of the United States. And she's arguing that there is one and looks at who has power and who doesn't and how that has uh, been maintained over time. So um, Isabel Wilkerson is such a great writer. She Her previous book is The Warmth of Other Suns, which is a book about the history of the Great Migration. Um, and so in that book, she does a ton of research and uses personal stories to really like illustrate her point. And I kind of thought that cast would be like that, but it's really not. It's much more philosophical than I remember The Warmth of Other Suns being. Um, and I, I like that. She uses a lot more um, kind of metaphors and analogies to try to 
explore like what a caste system actually is. And so she's really kind of explaining it and then arguing why we have one in the United States, which I think maybe people think that we don't. Another thing that she does with the book is she looks at the caste systems in India, which is a really well-known and like understood system, and then also Nazi Germany, and tries to compare those to the United States to show how a lot of what we have in the United States is similar to what happens there, which is a really striking kind of comparison, but also she's making the point really clearly, and I think it makes sense, right? Um, so she looks at how those systems developed and were supported and how the same thing has happened in the United States over time. So she looks at how the Nazi Nazis looked at racial systems in the United States to plan how they would outcast, make the Jews outcasts. Um, she looks at the logic of caste systems and how it requires that there be sort of a bottom rung so that people in the middle always have someone to sort of compare themselves against. She writes about the health costs of a system like this and how it affects politics and culture. This is, it is such a fascinating book. I I thought it was going to be a lot like The Warmth of Other Suns, which I really loved. And it's not, it's very different, but it's equally as compelling, I think, in the way that she's using analogy and metaphor to really make these arguments. So um, I highly recommend it. I think it's really spot on for like the time that it's coming out and absolutely worth reading to understand a lot of what is happening across different systems and uh, that kind of thing. So that is Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents by Isabel Wilkerson. I'm so glad you covered that one. Yeah, it's fascinating. My next pick is Finish the Fight, The Brave and Revolutionary Women Who Fought for the Right to Vote by Veronica Chambers. You thought you got away from suffrage books? Well, think again. (laughs) Episode is coming out on August 18th, and that is the day that we got the 19th Amendment. So I was like, we have to talk about at least one. I think I have another one later, though. So probably two books about women's suffrage in America. Oh, by the way, if you see that people are talking about August 26th as opposed to August 18th, it is because the amendment was basically like certified by a government official on the 26th. So it was like official, official on the 26th. But the 18th is like the day that it passed. Anyway, so Finish the Fight by Veronica Chambers. This is another last episode I talked a little bit about books for some younger readers. And I wanted to carry that on a bit because this looked really good. Um, It is for kids like 8 to 12. And talks about, uh, like, focuses on some of the women in the fight to vote who we don't necessarily know as much about. And I was actually, I mean, I'm like a little bit of a hipster, right, about, like, the suffrage movement in America. I was impressed by some of the people they talk about. One of the ones is uh, Zitkala Shah, who was a Yankton, Dakota Sioux writer and advocate for women's suffrage. And If you do not know about her, you should definitely look her up. She wrote like some amazing short stories. Um, I got some at the Smithsonian Museum. I think it's of the American Indian. I think that's the way that they phrase it. They had it in the gift shop and I'd never heard of her. So having this book like for children talk about Zitkala Shah, I was like, that's amazing. They also talk about Mary Church Terrell, who co-founded the National Association of Colored Women in the late 19th century. And then Mabel Pingwa Lee, who... That's like, I had to find, that took me a while to find out about her. So again, I was like, wow, that they are focusing on her. So when she was 16, she participated. Um, She was one of uh these, I was gonna say women, you're 16. I don't know, but just go with it. Who was riding on like, there were like a guard basically that was like riding on horseback uh in like a suffrage parade. And this was again, 
women uh, who I think at least I think it was all East Asian, but at least Chinese women were not allowed to even become like citizens, but definitely not allowed to vote until I believe it was the 1940s. So she fought for this right that she was not even allowed. But so again, if you want to have like a book for if you have kids who are like that's third to like seventh grade for that age range, this is like an awesome one to get them into people that you do not hear about that often. It's not just like Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Like we all know about them. This is like super awesome, like not that heard of women. So again, that is Finish the Fight, the Brave and Revolutionary Women Who Fought for the Right to Vote by Veronica Chambers. Oh, that sounds so good. Excellent pick. Also, I would like to say that I think you should put like hipster about the suffrage movement in your Twitter bio because that's 100% <laughs> true or the title of your memoir or something. <laughs> I, w- I would oh love that very much. Gosh. Yeah. Don't come to me with your like suffragette jujitsu trivia. I was just – okay, just quick side note. I was just talking to a friend. And I was like, I am so tired of people acting like suffragettes doing jujitsu is like a new and fun fact. And she was like, um, I've never heard that before. <laughs> I was like, but I feel like it just gets tossed around the internet all the time. But it's it's uh, it's the echo chamber. You know what I mean? It is, yes. Yeah. All right. So my uh, last pick for new books is called Our Lady of Perpetual Hunger, a memoir by Lisa Donovan. And this is another book that came out in early August from Penguin Press. Um, and so Lisa Donovan is a Southern pastry chef who was also the winner of a James Beard Award for essay writing, uh, which made me very excited because I was like, that means this book, the writing in it is going to be top-notch, and it is. Uh, And so Our Lady Perpetual Hunger is a memoir about cooking, survival, and the incredible power in reclaiming the stories of women. And I guess before I go on, like Our Lady of Perpetual Hunger is such a great title for a book. I love it. It is. It's so great. So um, this book, it's a memoir. It opens with her in, I wrote down Costa Rica, and I think that's right, but if it's not, I'm sorry. Um, But she's in like a South American country, kind of riding around being... I don't know, like a sabbatical kind of from her chef life. And she starts reflecting on how like the cessism and the pressure and the toxicity in restaurants that she had been a part of and had built her career in had really started to take a toll and how she was trying to sort of push back against that. And so part of it was this kind of leaving her life for a bit to go travel and like explore food and like do some kind of small one-on-one trainings and stuff like that in other places. And so Lisa Donovan throughout her career helped found a number of really famous restaurants. Um, She also led a movement towards more traditional desserts, which I haven't gotten to that part in it, but I'm really curious what that means. And she, despite having kind of all these accolades and this really well-known and important career, she still really struggled to deal with a lot of the sexism and toxicity in restaurants. So this book is also kind of about reclaiming her story and the stories of women who came before her who had recipes stories and heritage uh, taken or uh, absorbed by male chefs and kind of twisted away from them. And so it just is, uh, it's a fascinating memoir about uh, the restaurant industry, which is something I'm always really interested in reading about, and then about all the things that she experienced. And so I'm just going to read one of the quotes from the book jacket, because I think it really like sums up a lot of what the book is about. And so Donovan herself had been told at every juncture that she wasn't enough. She came from a struggling Southern family that felt ashamed of its own mixed race heritage and whose elders diminished their women. She survived abuse and assault as a young mother, but Donovan's salvations were food, self-reliance, and the network of women and food who stood by her, uh, which I just think sounds really fascinating and great. Like I said, the writing in this one is just so vivid and descriptive, and I think it's fascinating. So I definitely recommend this one, despite only being a bit into it so far. 
So that is Our Lady of Perpetual Hunger, a memoir by Lisa Donovan. Well, that does sound good. I always automatically, when I hear like food books, I tend to be like, oh, that doesn't concern me because I don't really cook. (laughs) But no, that sounds awesome. Yeah. All right. So I'll get into our second sponsor, which is Book Riot Insiders, the digital hangout spot for the Book Riot community. So enrich your reading life with our Book Riot Insiders perks. We have three levels to insiders, the short story, novel, and epic levels, which you can try any level out for free for two weeks. Uh, The highlight is our group read hosted online, which is available to all Epic members. Every quarter, we'll read a book voted on by subscribers that will fulfill at least one task of the 2020 Read Harder Challenge, and then we'll cap off our read-along with a live chat. Insiders also get access to our new release index, which is amazing, so they can keep track of upcoming releases they're most excited about. Uh, There are exclusive podcasts, bookish merchandise deals, and more. So head to insiders.bookriot.com to start your free two-week trial. All right. So with that, we will shift gears into kind of our weekly topic. So this week, we wanted to talk about voting because um, in many in Minnesota, anyway, we just had our primary election this week. And so now as that is wrapping up, everybody's gearing up towards the general election. Other states are kind of at different parts of that process. But voting is going to be a really big deal this year. And it's already making, I don't know, there's a lot of news about voting. So we thought some nonfiction about voting might be appropriate for now. I don't know. Do you have anything else to add? I like your little sort of brief summary about how everyone's chatting about voting. Um, No, I was just talking to someone about basically something that's going to depend on how the election goes in terms of how we message it. Like it was like just a Mm -hmm. thing that's being promoted and it made it just suddenly seem much more real. (laughs) It was like, Mm -hmm. because we're getting so close to November. So yeah, I think that anything to... I mean, I would say, like, from what I've looked up, like, 40 to 60% of Americans tend to vote. And I know that that changes a lot based on demographic, but also, like, we need to up that turnout rate. So I think anything talking about voting is like, yes, let us talk about these books and why it's important. And the end. Yes, exactly. So my first pick is perhaps not explicitly about voting, but I think it's relevant to how we will be voting this year. And it's called How the Post Office Created America by Winifred Gallagher. Uh, And this book came out in 2017. And it is basically a history of the post office, but it's a history of the post office looking at how decisions about how the post office is created and works affected and influenced the way that the United States is today. And so I feel like this one is a good one to read because the post office is under such scrutiny right now because of uh, interference from politicians and the role it's going to play in mail-in voting this year. So I wanted to talk about this book. So um, Winifred Gallagher basically argues that the post office is the United States. Like the post office is so fundamental to who we are as a country because the foundation of the post office helped colonies across, you know, the East Coast connect and develop their kind of systems. Anger at the British Stamp Act helped sow the seeds of revolution. Um, The creation of postal routes and then the roads that those postal routes went on helped bring infrastructure to new areas of the United States. Like whole parts of like the Western United States first became, you know, connected to back to the East Coast because of postal routes and the formation of a a foundation of a post office in these far-flung communities really helped establish them as places that mattered. Railroads and stagecoach routes, a lot of that was supplemented or helped paid for by the fact that mail was getting sent along them. The free press and the distribution of ideas is built into the idea of the post office because when the post office was created, newspapers and other like periodicals like that had a super low postal rate. And so that's how all of it got distributed. So like the exchange of ideas in the colonies and in the early United States is 
directly tied to the creation of the post office. So um, the book argues that basically at like every juncture where America changed in some way, the post office played a role in making that change happen. And it is an institution that was built to be sustainable and trusted and widely like accepted and important to people across the United States. Um, and this book is so fascinating. It is filled with just these great facts about the post office, although like I forgot to write many of them down. But one that I do remember is that postal workers staged the first major strike by federal workers in the 1970s, which I thought was fascinating. Like I would have expected that would have happened much earlier, but no, it was 1970s and it was postal workers. Um, but it just has so many good facts about the post office and why it is important and why it is so uniquely tied to who we are as a country. And I think it I was like not anti-post office or anything before, but it really like reinvigorated my idea that like the post office matters and that we really do need to support an institution that's fundamental job is to make sure that people can connect to each other. So if you are interested in the history of the post office, want to understand it better, this one is a good one. So How the Post Office Created America by Winifred Gallagher. You know, I tend to be really suspect of books that are like, how the thumbtack changed everything. Mm -hmm. But that actually sounds like she makes a really good case for the post office. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, we would have been a bunch of like vaguely connected colonies yeah. without that. Yeah. I mean, without the post office, like none of that would have happened. I think particularly like the idea of the free press and the exchange of ideas and like pre-revolutionary war America, like the only reason that happened is because they developed a system by which that information and those ideas could travel cheaply and quickly, relatively quickly between different areas. Like it wouldn't have happened really otherwise. I wonder if Winifred Gallagher is getting like besieged by media requests <laughs> right now to, to chat about the importance of the post yeah. office. Um, no, I actually, I really want to read that. I'm going to add it to my list. My pick is She Votes, How U.S. Women Won Suffrage and What Happened Next by Bridget Quinn. Uh, this is also like a really new release. So, but I didn't want to put it in that category because we we're talking about voting. This is, I would say, different from all the other books about suffrage that we've talked about on this podcast um, by virtue of how it looks. Mostly it is, okay, you know how like letterpress stuff is like pretty big now? Or, like, mm -hmm. has been for the last, I don't know, 10 years. It's in that vein. So, like, it uses, I would say, like, the format of it reminds me of just, like, really awesome letterpress work. So, like, the fonts are really cool and how it's laid out is really awesome. And it has 100 illustrations or artworks by 100 women artists, um, just like highlighting, and they're all like different styles, and it's like highlighting different moments in the suffrage movement. She uses like pretty dynamic language, Bridget Quinn, and she goes back to the uh, Native American tribes that were in, I think it was nor definitely like northern New York. It was basically what they say like inspired Elizabeth Cady Stanton, or at least gave her some of the ideas about women's rights based on how those tribes worked. Um, so she goes from that time, like back early America, um, to like the riot girl movement and then the founders of Black Lives Matter. So she covers a lot of ground and she talks about not just people you would expect, like maybe like Sojourner Truth. But also the artist Mary Cassatt, which I, when I think of like the fight for women's rights and, and the vote, I don't automatically think of Mary Cassatt and her awesome paintings. But yeah, she was part of it. And also obviously like Betty for Dan and like others. So, oh, she also talks about, I had never heard of this before, 
but the Native women who were the first world champions of basketball. And it's such a cool story. And it just like, this is why my whole thing with women's suffrage is that it's not like we just had some protests outside the White House and (laughs) picketing and then we like got the vote. This was something that happened from the early to mid 1800s. And like so many thousands of people contributed all in their small way, which is why (laughs) this is like my little soapbox moment. You and anything you do towards a movement is going to help that movement. It seems like it doesn't affect it, but it's like a it's like an accumulation of all these little things. And so that becomes really clear in this book. And that's why I like it, aside from, again, it being really visually striking. So that is She Votes, How U.S. Women Won Suffrage and What Happened Next by Bridget Quinn. Yeah, I was Googling that book while you were talking because I wanted to see the illustrations. And oh my gosh, they are gorgeous. Yeah. And I love that. It has so many different artists because each of the illustrations does really have a different feel, which I think is a cool like way of showing visually like how many different, like as you said, like how many different people were part of the movement and how many different facets and sides it has and how much more expansive and complicated it is than we typically get to kind of understand. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. That's a really cool way of doing that and like bringing in visually bringing in so many new voices. I love that. Yeah, so gorgeous. All right, so my uh, second pick is called One Person, No Vote, How Voters' Suppression is Destroying Democracy by Carol Anderson. And this book came out a couple of years ago, maybe three or four. uh, And it is about how America's history of voter suppression since the passage of the Voting Rights Act in 1965. So the Voting Rights Act was passed in 1965, which basically made it uh, more difficult to keep people from voting. And so in the wake of that, people tried to find new techniques and new ways of suppressing the vote that weren't explicitly uh, racist or against that. And so then Carol Anderson looks at kind of that history, but then also new ways of suppressing votes that have emerged since uh, the 2013 Supreme Court decision that basically gutted the Voting Rights Act. So the 2013 decision effectively allowed districts, voting districts in the United States that have a demonstrated history of racial discrimination to change voting requirements without approval from the Department of Justice. So a lot of what happened, one of the things that was a result of the Voting Rights Act is that places that had history of voter suppression had to, anytime they made changes, the Department of Justice had to be involved. And after 2013, that has not been true anymore. And so as a result, there are lots of different new techniques for suppressing votes like photo ID requirements, gerrymandering, which basically like dilutes votes uh, by pushing people into different areas, Um, closing polling locations, which I think we've seen a lot of uh, in the last couple of election cycles in particular. And so then in the paperback version of this book, there's an afterword where she looks at the 2018 midterm elections and examines like what we learned from that, where we saw, again, a lot of situations where like poll closures in particular um, made a big difference. Also, the other part of the book that I think was really important is that she looks at uh, people who are resisting these ideas about voter suppression, so organizers, activism, and court uh, decisions that are trying to restore voting rights in the United States. And I, I think this one is fascinating because it just really shows how, when, you know, like there's 
when you talk about photo ID requirements, I think it initially can sort of be like, well, yes, obviously you need to prove who you are in order to vote. But like, there's a lot built into that that is unfair and it is discriminatory and it affects certain groups of people a lot more than it affects others. And that has negative effects on people's ability and motivation to vote that I think is worth talking about and understanding. So um, I thought this book was just super enlightening. Enlightening. It made me really angry. Um, and it's relevant still. Like she brings up 2018, but I think we're still talking about a lot of these things. And I, I'd be, I'm interested to maybe go look up if she's been talking about voting by mail because I think the attacks on the post office and the pushback against voting by mail, which is like a safe and effective and widely used way to vote, is also part of this idea of voter suppression and trying to cut back on people's ability to vote in the middle of a pandemic. So I think this one is really relevant and it, it gave me a lot of motivation to understand voter suppression better, which I think is a big deal going into the next election cycle. So that is One Person, No Vote, How Voter Suppression is Destroying Democracy by Carol Anderson. That's such a good and relevant pick. Also, I think it's in line with the the ways that we tend to each look. Like our picks, I think, look uh, highlight the ways we <laughs> tend to look it up. So, so Kim tends to yeah. focus on like, I would say like analysis and current events. And I'm always mm-hmm. like, let me talk about the history of how this happened. Yeah, speaking of... <laughs> sorry my last pick for sort of like voting books is the right to vote the contested history of democracy in the united states by alexander kesar this is i was excited about this because it's basically like a history of suffrage in the united states so it goes back well from the american revolution to like uh i think it's like the 2010s maybe But what he does is he goes back to like, let's talk about when we started. When we started in America, there was like a tiny, tiny sliver, right, of the population could vote. You had to own land. You had to be like a white male, et cetera. And then they like slowly expanded it to like you didn't have to own land, (laughs) but like everything else, you had to be a white male. And then it's just been this like slow climb upwards from that. So what he what he mainly is highlighting is this this gap between this image of the United States, right, as, like, the democratic nation and, like, we were founded on, like, principles of equality and all this stuff. And that might be true, like, technically, like, we were founded on (laughs) principles of equality. But talking about the reality that it has taken almost two centuries, like, 200 years for us to be like, oh, let's maybe put those principles into real practice and see all people as, like, people, (laughs) Who are in fact equal. And and we're still, as Kim was just talking about, still struggling with that. Like we say we have universal suffrage. It's not totally true. Especially as as regards things like, you know, if you're like a convicted felon. But let's not get into that at the moment. One of the things that so like the history nerd in me loves is uh the book has things like, okay, one of the sections is called Know Nothings, Radicals, and Redeemers. And you're like, oh, what's a know nothing? Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> so just real quick. The know nothings, I like to think of them as like the tea party of the 19th century. I don't think that's a completely accurate parallel, but they were initially called the Order of the Star Spangled Banner, if that gives you any like little <laughs> key into their thought. They were super nativist, meaning like you are, a, you have to be like a white American born here to basically count. In order to join, you had to be obviously number one, born in America. Number two, a white male adult. And then with no personal or familial connection to Catholicism. That's where they were. 
just like starting from the no nothings had like a million members in the 18th what i'm saying is the stuff that we see now we've been seeing since the country's inception you always have and the fact they called themselves no nothings it's like okay guys like it's very like i'm sure that they would have talked about like east coast elites back in the day and probably did actually i think that reputation's been there since the 18th century (laughs) um The point being, if you want, like, a detailed history of voting in America, what the different movements have been, how it's worked, um, this is, like, it's, like, pretty long. Well, it's, like, over 300 pages, but I would say it's one of those fun nonfiction books we talked about last episode where it has a lot of footnotes. So it looks bigger Mm -hmm. than it is. And then uh, you suddenly are at the end and there's still, like, 100 pages left. But you're like, oh, that's all. That's all footnotes. They also talk about, I mean, it goes into, like, FDR and, like, what was going on there. And there's a whole section on women's suffrage, you know, speaking of everyone's favorite topic. Uh, So to just kind of, like, delve into that history and then talk about, number one, how we got here. Like, to know how we got here in the first place. And then, number two, like, what our consistent problems have been and that we're still working on. I think it's a good pick for that. So uh, again, that is The Right to Vote, The Contested History of Democracy in the United States by Alexander Kesar. Excellent pick. I love that one. So I have just one more really quick pick, which is a book I have not read at all, but it came out this year and I think it is very relevant. And so I wanted to quick mention it. And so that is called What You Need to Know About Voting and Why by Kimberly Welly, which is a book that offers practical, useful advice on the mechanics of voting in an enlightening survey of its history and future. So uh, Kimberly Welly is a law professor and constitutional scholar. And this book offers is just kind of a primer on voting. So she answers questions like, what is a primary? How does the electoral college work? Who gets to cast a ballot? How do mail-in ballots work? How do I register? It's a good book for people who are new voters, would-be voters, young people, anybody who wants to just sort of get a nice primer on elections and voting. Um, just It's a guide for doing that. And I think that uh, she did a book previously that was about like how to read the Constitution, which I have, uh, that is really good. And so I think this one is just a nice like, hey, if you want to know the basics of voting so you can have educated conversations with people in your life, uh, I think this might be a great one. So What You Need to Know About Voting and Why by Kimberly Welly is another quick pick. And so with that, we will wrap up the podcast as we normally do by talking about the books that we are reading uh, right now at this very moment. And mine's actually one that I finished a few days ago, but I wanted to talk about it because it was really great. And it's called Big Friendship, How We Keep Each Other Close by Amini Tussauds and Anne Friedman. Uh, And so this is a book about friendship. The co-authors are the co-hosts of a podcast called Call Your Girlfriend, which is about like long distance friendship. And so each podcast, they call each other up from opposite sides of the country and talk about current events and stuff like that. And they're like well known as like best friends forever and like friendship goals for people, Uh, except their friendship has not always been as easy and breezy as it seems on their podcast. And so this book is kind of a co-memoir about their their friendship from when they were in their uh, mid-20s and both living in Washington, D.C. through how it is today and some of the challenges that they have faced as long distance friends, as interracial friends, as people who, uh, you know, have complicated emotional lives and don't always know how to be great to each other. And so I just, I thought it was fascinating. It was so interesting to just read about friendship, which is a, they talk about as a relationship that doesn't get the same weight and heft as some of our other familial and romantic relationships, but that is equally important and should our big friendships with people should have that kind of effort put into them. And so I thought it was 
made me think a lot about my friends and what I can do to be more present and aware for them. And it's just kind of a fascinating book. They bring in some research and their own personal stories and um, their chapter on uh, interracial friendship. So, uh, I mean, Nutuso is black and Anne Friedman is white. And so their chapter about that was a very fascinating, just about the way that black and white friendships are are complicated and the, the considerations that you have to have for that. So uh, I loved it. It was really good. Big friendship, how we keep each other close. That feels like especially relevant right now because Mm -hmm. I think previous to this, a lot of our like, at least in-person friendships, you could kind of feel like you were maintenancing by like, oh, let's go out and like at dinner or something. And now Mm -hmm. you can't really do that. So you have to like much more intentionally like figure Mm -hmm. in time and stuff. I'm doing a lot of phone calls because I'm I'm done with Zoom. (laughs) No. (laughs) But I love talking on the phone. I know most people uh, nowadays do not, but I highly recommend it. Well, I mean, that was really kind of like deep and nice, Cam. I'm reading <laughs> I'm reading The Princess Diarist by Carrie Fisher. So um, good, though. Yeah. Well, I feel like, and I said this in the nonfiction newsletter, True Story, that you can subscribe to, I feel like Carrie Fisher is just a wonderful voice to have in your head sometimes. I say that when I'm not reading the audiobook. <laughs> doing the (laughs) just the print one but i don't know like i i wish she could have she could just well i kind of wish she could still be here but also dealing with now sucks so much but she's so funny and so frank and this book in particular the princess diarist it's uh the last book that she had published and it's after she like they started filming the new star wars movies And she's like, oh, I like started thinking about, you know, being Princess Leia because that's obviously associated with me like my whole life now and (laughs) I'm never getting away from it. And she finds her old journals from when they filmed Star Wars and she just – that's when like – when this book came out, that's when everyone was like, oh my gosh, Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford were like kind of together for a little bit. And um, (laughs) that was like a huge thing. And so she talks about that and how she had this huge crush on him, but she was like a tiny baby. And, you know, like her life with her mom, Debbie Reynolds, and how like that was like difficult in its own way. And it's just, I just, I just really enjoy it as a book. And just again, reading anything by Carrie Fisher, I feel like is always a a just little kind of a, I don't know, interlude, vacation, delight, all of those nice things. So yeah, Princess Diarist by Carrie Fisher. If I didn't say that enough, you should, (laughs) you should pick it up. And with that, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time, and Kim is at Kim the Dork. And our amazing audio editing for this and every episode is done by Jen Zink. She does such a good job. Thank you, Jen. If you feel so inclined, please take a minute to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcast. Uh, that helps people find us more easily. And while you're there, you can subscribe so you get new episodes the very minute that they come out. And so with that, I am Kim Ukara. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast. Podcast.